Hey, it's your old pal Slim, and you're listening to Faves, an upbeat talk show where the guest chooses the topic. And in this episode, that's professional wrestling. Dirk Feelgood is a former Grand Pro Wrestling heavyweight champion turned modern day manager. Neil Bradbury is a famed ring announcer for both GPW and Future Shock Wrestling. In this episode, Dirk chose the Royal Rumble match from 1992, while Neil picked CM Punk versus John Cena from Money in the Bank 2011. As an added bonus, we also talked about Dirk's four-way match from 2012 Battlefield 2, which is for the GPW Heavyweight Championship. We talked about the mystique of professional wrestling and what drew us in, the differences between then and now, and what happens when you're a professional wrestler with a day job. Enjoy! Royal Rumble 92, Ric Flair winning the over-the-top rope 30-man match. The only way to win the match is by throwing your opponent over the top rope and being the final man left. And in this year, winning the, quote, undisputed championship mm-hmm. belt. Probably the earliest ver- version of that phrase I've ever heard. But uh, what made you choose this one as your as your pick? Oh, so many reasons. So many reasons. I think... You know, I toyed with the idea of, of picking something slightly more um, niche and slightly that would prove my wrestling credentials. But this, this without a doubt, is the most joyous bit of wrestling, and for for so for so many reasons. And I I remember um, at the time when I was a uh, just a wee boy, thirteen, I think, when when this was on, and we watched it. Well, we didn't watch it. That was the point. We didn't have the subscription required to watch this wrestling match. And I don't know whether, don't know whether you, you you have this in America, but it was scrambled. So the screen was just all black and white fuzzy lines. And I spent three hours <laughs> glued to the fuzzy black and white screen just with Heenan's and Gorilla Monsoon's commentary. And just my mum just watching me, probably just like, how have we raised this boy to be like this, <laughs> but letting me do it. And it was just, I was enthralled by it really. The Royal Rumble has, it's, it's always, it's always been my favorite. I think it was probably the first WWF style match I ever saw. Um, and I remember Roddy Piper specifically running out, running out like a absolute, I don't mad know, man. like a mad, those are the words. He's a madman. And that's what I thought his wrestling name was for about 30 seconds. I thought he was the, he was the madman. And I was just, this is incredible. This is, this is so, this is touching me right now in my soul, the, the joy of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'd, been, I'd grown up on British wrestling and we used to watch British wrestling every Saturday when we went around to my grandmother's house. And sometimes there'd be some cousins there and we'd watch the wrestling all together every, every sort of Saturday. And I was, I was hooked on wrestling as, as a thing anyway. And then the American wrestling was fairly, fairly new at that time. So we're talking like the late eighties, early nineties in the UK, but my dad would record some, I think it was NWA that was shown really late at night on one of the channels. And he didn't think it was very good, but he would, <laughs> he would, re- <laughs> he would record it for me and I, I get to watch it. And then, and then when I hit high school, secondary school, um somebody i knew subscribed to the tv channels and mm. he would feed me the videos and i think the raw rumble sort of like 90 or something like that was pro- or no probably like yeah maybe before that was was the first one i saw officially and just hooked on the raw rumble hooked on wwf wwe ever since what about you neil how were you able to find them when you were younger when did you first see it i think i had a similar problem to Dirk, which is that it was very hard to get wrestling when i was growing up because it was always on uh the, well the, the sky channels it was on like the subscription channels that you had to pay for so it was something that people always thought about school because when i was a teenager like late primary school early secondary school it was in the height of the attitude era so it was something that everyone kind of talked about but i really got into wrestling like quite late in life like i i was about 23 when i really got into wrestling which three months is, ago Three months ago. <laughs> I wish that was three months ago. Um, I, I used to be really into comedy and uh, I used to perform in a in an improv group like a lot of irritating students. And I went to <laughs> uh, and we went up to the to the to the Edinburgh Fringe uh, one year, which is a big like international sort of comedy festival uh, over here. 
and um, this double act that we we kind of knew vaguely because they've been on the same bill as us somewhere else called Max Nivan put on like a big <sighs> wrestling show called The Wrestling that was a mix of like kind of wrestling and comedy. So I went along and it was the first like thing like that I'd ever really seen properly. Uh, and it just completely blew my mind. It was just one of the best nights out I'd ever had. So uh, it was headlined by um, Pac, who obviously later mm. went on to be Neville and is now Pac again. Uh, and he, for those that aren't familiar with his style, he's like a really, he's like high fly and he does like the backflips. And if you've never seen wrestling before in a live setting and the first one you see is people doing all that kind of stuff, it's really incredible. So like when I came back from the fringe, I was like, I'm going to get into this. And that was... Yeah, that was kind of the height of the CM Punk sort of summer of punk thing was going on in the yeah. WWE. So it was a really good time to kind of jump into it, I think, in, in retrospect. I was trying to think of how I first watched it. And I remember renting VHS tapes from the video store. Mm-hmm. And these shows were always so long that they were like double VHSs. And I think the one year that Yokozuna won the tape ended before the like end of the Royal Rumble match. I had to like go back and <laughs> demand to like, give me the rest of this match. Um, but man, this is the first time I've watched it in so long. And I wrote, I wrote that I just absolutely loved and maybe I can play in the background here, but the music to the pay-per-view itself, I was so in love. As soon as it started, I was like, yes, this is going to be amazing. So good. The model Rick Martel, the berserker. Rowdy Roddy Piper, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Nasty Boy Sags, Repo Man, Sergeant Slaughter. Exactly, and, and, and when I was rewatching it, I was, it just hit me straight away. It brought all the memories back. Just that the music is so amazingly, brilliantly bad, and you've got these floating faces that just come across the screen right at the beginning <laughs> and it's like and, and i think one of the reasons i really love wrestling is it kind of reminds me of when you get you, you're like at a character select screen in street fighter 2 mm-hmm. and you've got all these options of all these people with different personalities and different potential move sets and it's just like there's a whole new world out there and that's what that's how the Royal Rumble 92 starts, right? And you get all these kind of faces yeah. across the screen and some people pulling better promo sh- shots than others. Greg Valentine looks like no one's ever taken his photo before. <laughs> and they just walked in on him just while he was on the toilet. Uh, but some are better than others. That was one of my notes how, like, there are certain wrestlers, mainly before this, but had total dad bods, but they were sex icons. Oh, God. Oh, yes. Like, Anyone? out of hand. Yeah. Anyone in the 1980s who's got a nickname like Beautiful Bobby or Pretty Something <laughs> looks looks like someone's dad. It's a, it's Beer officially belly, my, receding yeah. hairline, but really long hair from the receding hairline. Oh my god, it was it's amazing! Officially, my favorite gimmick that the ugly pretty boy. That is officially <laughs> yeah, my favorite so gimmick ever. Yeah. The the one thing too, you're right. The show starts out with those character screens. Mc, Vince McMahon yells their name as their face comes across screen and nowadays i find it annoying how they always come up with like one or two single names and nicknames for wrestlers but back then it just worked so well you have these people larger than life you know skinner who is like some kind of bounty hunter like why would i ever care about this guy but as a kid like whoa what's this guy's story He's well. He Skinner's an interesting one because I was kind of I was into Skinner because he's an old school like um, I don't know who he actually wrestled for, but he was a pretty boy gimmick. So in, in WWE, he wrestles as like an alligator hunter, and in, but his original gimmick on like the indies was he was a pretty boy, and he was like a, in a tag team called the Fabulous Ones, and he 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 I think I, he was the guy first guy I saw do the. Um, reverse ddt which is a big move and mm. he did the um pedigree i think as well for the first wow. time yeah he I, I loved skinner he was great but in many ways terrible <laughs> just an amazing gimmick see hearing yeah, you yeah. say it out loud alligator yeah. hunter <laughs> alligator hunter who, who chewed tobacco that was the other thing chewed tobacco and spat that yeah. at people i think there was a point in the royal rumble 92 where the ring was full of an alligator hunter an aggressive tax man and a repo man. <laughs> and it's like, which one of these is the champion of the world? It's yeah. like, surely, surely very few of them have legitimate claims to be the champion of the world. I was reading some like reviews at the time too. And like some wrestling sites re-reviewing the rumble and like the last 15, they were all saying like, you legitimately didn't know any one of these could win. 
and mm-hmm. and be the champion because at that time it really was you know any zany gimmick quote gimmick what their what yeah. their character was could win yeah and i think this is the first rumble where there was an actual consequence so before when people have won the royal rumble they just won it and there was prestige but this was for the title which is the very first time they'd had a such a stipulation so not only could anybody win, but it was really there was a lot of there was a lot of jeopardy involved. I think with mm-hmm. this one, a lot of uh, memories came back to, and I got upset but happy about how the two commentators, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan, <laughs> who were top of the game in terms of you know announcing and calling matches. They yeah. wrestling essentially has three announcers, two to three announcers, and these were in my opinion, the best one was kind of like a good guy announcer and Bobby, the brain mm-hmm. Heenan was a bad guy. He was mm-hmm. friends with Ric Flair and you, it just worked. They worked on so many levels. I yeah. I would love to read like a long form story and how they worked together, how they planned yeah. these jokes and insults mm. and how they just came across so well. It was like untouchable. Mm. This, this match. Yeah. So good. I think it's the, there's the best, commentary team ever i think you know that there's so many that kind of is the classic setup of the good guy and the bad guy but i don't think there's any that are as good as those two and i think it's risky having like i think a commentator that's kind of very openly like a friend of one of the match but of someone in the match but i think it worked really well in this in this case oh yeah. I mean, it was it was essential really i think wasn't it to how well the the, the rumble comes across and that's why this is probably the greatest ever Royal Rumble, and it's the greatest Royal Rumble for for, for many reasons. It's probably got the, it's it's the first one for the title. It's probably got the best roster of thirty guys in there. Like a mm. lot of those guys, like you said, Slim, a lot of those guys could have won it. But also the performance of Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon was 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 just it's not been repeated really, and and it was just they told the story so well so well the story of um rick flair rick flair this was rick flair's rumble let's let's not mince our words this is rick flair's rumble today we find out who's the first of them all we're at the royal rumble and 30 of the greatest world wrestling federation superstars gather today to find out who is the man for four months I've called myself the real world champion. So for me, there's no back door. But remember, boys, and that's to all 29 of you, I've lived one way and one way only, and that's with the belief to be the man. You have to beat the man. And today at the Royal Rumble, I am the man. You watch his promos before. He's the bad guy, but he gives such solid reasonable promos before just talking about how he's been saying he's the real world's champ for so long and he's just going to prove it and he can't and and he's he's here to back up his claims and that and that story is told the entire way through the rumble from his entrance right at the beginning to the finale neil too like this is Mm. usually these matches last like 60 minutes and rick flair pulled the number two so he was in there if he's going to win he's going to be in or number three if he's going to be in there he's going to be in there the longest and this was yeah. the first time I remember in years where someone who draws that number is working hard mm. for 60 minutes. Yeah. Nowadays, they kind of just kind of relax, fall outside the ring and take a nap. But he was in yeah. it the whole time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's lots of times when you when like you'll watch like a Royal Rumble and the next day you'll go on Twitter like nowadays, obviously. And uh it'll say, oh, such and such was in there for 50 minutes. And then you'll kind of think, oh, was he? Because you feel like yeah. <laughs> he didn't really do much. You know, he's just like you say, maybe was kind of in a corner. But like Flair was the focal point of the whole rumble. And I watched this when I was, I'd say, when I was what first getting interesting, because everyone kind of said just what you said there, Dirk, which was it's the greatest rumble. And I think it, it is definitely. But one thing that I appreciated now going back to watch it, knowing a bit more about it, is how many little stories there are in there, like, when Greg the Hammer Valentine comes in, like he's someone that's got like a really long history with Flair in the 1980s and they go straight at each other. And when Kerry Von Erich, the Texas mm-hmm. Tornado, comes in and they've got this really long history together and just the fact they played off all those things, it's just a really, that you know, and just kind of trusted that, you know, some of the audience are going to get what we're doing here and some aren't. I thought it was just really cool to see that. So, yeah, I think it's I, one of the greatest. I think it's incredible how much trust they had in Flair, because obviously Flair is probably the greatest wrestler of all time, but he was a WCW, NWA, NWA guy, really. And they didn't they didn't do that very often when new people came in. They didn't, you know, they 
you see it now when Sting came into Wrestle Triple H and Triple H, you know, the Triple H is the the kind of the one of the guys who runs WWE now and Sting was a guy in WCW for such a long time and they were competitors and then when Sting came over, yeah, they built him up, but ultimately he lost and Triple H was had to prove that his company was superior. But here Ric Flair goes through like literally the entire roster of WWF wrestlers and he's put over not by just by Bobby Heenan. When I say put over, I mean made to seem like the greatest thing ever, but Gorilla Monsoon, he was notoriously pro good guys the whole way through. And it just shows how much faith they had in, in Ric Flair as a, as a wrestler. And I guess um, probably as a, as a champion and as somebody with integrity. Yeah. And it's a bummer too, that it didn't last longer in that era of WWF. Mm. I don't know how long Flair did stay maybe up until that WrestleMania. He didn't, did he didn't stay a full year? Did he? No, I I think it was a really short period of time. I think it's really weird that they had Flair at that time as well. And at that mania, I think it was Flair versus Randy Savage. Am I right Mm. in saying? Yeah, I don't even think it was the main event. No, and it's, it seems so weird that you'd have like Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in like 1992 after they're both arguably the biggest stars in these two separate companies and you don't put them against each other. It feels really weird. But then, yeah, yeah, he was he was back to WCW. And uh, yeah, yeah. And not and not long after that, too, Hogan, Savage and Flair were considered kind of, you know, they're probably retiring soon. Yeah. Savage became like a commentator. And then he goes to WCW and they run WCW, their competitor, for years. Mm. And it's yeah. it's just wild how kind of looking back, you think, yeah, Flair's getting up there. This could be his final run. Not even close. No like, literally not even close. Like, what were you thinking? Oh, my God. Yeah. That was like 27 years ago or something, wasn't it? How old yeah. was 92? 27 yeah. years ago. And he's, he's still knocking around. Yeah. <laughs> still knocking God around. God bless him. The one thing I took a note of when Piper came out. The crowd came unglued for Roddy Piper. Trying to get that oxygen in that body. And here comes Roddy. Oh, no. Of all the people. Anyone but Piper. It's Piper. Piper could be done. Oh, this isn't for the flare. Of all the things I said This is something that always boggled my mind later watching Nitro when when Hogan was in the NWO and a bad guy and Piper was his main foil. I couldn't give two craps about Roddy Piper. I was like, get off my TV screen. You're so <laughs> old and you're 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 useless. He, it, this was in the era of WCW where like, let's get rid of these old heads. I'm kind of over it. But the crowd... Regardless, they loved him in those WCW shows. They went through the roof, and and the same here. I was just crazy to see. Do you see how they they set it up for this rumble though? So just before Piper comes out, Flair is the only guy in the ring. So they reset the rumble at that point. It's like halfway through. They've done those sets of stories. Reset. Ric Flair's by himself. He's trying to catch a break. And then out comes the madman, Roddy, <laughs> <laughs> Roddy Piper. And no matter, Piper is perfect for the Rumble because he's not a, a move guy. He's an emotion guy, isn't he? He's emotion. Mm. He's, he's punches and promos. And that's what a Royal Rumble is all about. Yeah. The emotion he inspired in Young Slim was active disdain by the sense <laughs> of things. But I mean, maybe at that time I was jumping up in my chubby little self, like, yeah, get him, Roddy, get him, put the boots to him. Get him, madman. Get him, madman. I, I, yeah, I mean, when it's one of those things, like, with a really good, like, wrestling match, a really good wrestling character, is like, I know Ric Flair wins this, but then when Roddy Piper comes out and he's like full of fire and the crowd's cheering for him, I go, oh, maybe Roddy's going to win this. And it's like, no, this is from. 27 years ago you've watched it before you know who wins but you still kind of feel like maybe just by sheer charisma he's going to actively change the past so it's just yeah uh, it's they, got you, they, got, you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they got you they worked you they and then you i was gonna say and then after after roddy piper uh jake the snake which is he was mm. one of my absolute favorites so that was just yeah that yeah looking back it was great to see these legends in their prime in this situation where you know I, I think I made a note of this where you see these legends in here and you're not sure how they're going to not win 
because there's such yeah. a high status. And back then, I, I made a mental note about how earlier Bret Hart wasn't able to compete um, a couple of, or like he was quote unquote sick and the Mountie beat him for the ECW title. And it reminded me of this era where the stars never really got pinned or lost often. Like Bret Hart never really quote got pinned clean, meaning like he just lost a match because he wasn't good enough. That didn't happen. And nowadays that's, that's the opposite. The big stars get pinned all the time. They lose all the time. They win all the time. But back then shows like this, they meant something and they were rare. They didn't have a pay-per-view every month. They had what Mm. four a year. So they would work up to these shows and it was just, you didn't know what was going to happen. And it really showed in kind of the electricity in the crowd. Even from the, I don't know if you watch the opening matches, but the opening matches don't involve really big stars. And the crowd are so into it for just every single move. Every single elimination in that Raw Rumble more or less gets a, gets a huge reaction, doesn't it? And I, th- I think having that experience as somebody who's getting into wrestling and and you see how involved the crowd is with all of these characters you just buy into it so much more don't you and you know you just want to find out more about them because even the people that come in and they just do snippets here and there i mean this was sean michael's first um appearance as I guess the heartbreak kid, wasn't it? This was mm. one week yeah. after he he turned on his tag team partner and went on to become probably one of the greatest, well, one of the top two greatest wrestlers of, of all time, probably. And this was where he debuted <clears throat> that gimmick and looked totally comfortable doing it as well. Mm. Yeah, amazing match at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan appears and oh. <laughs> just looking very old and not on steroids and it looks like he had aged 20 years and maybe two or yeah. three years and he, someone's he com- deflated oh my god two yeah two years ago yeah, yeah. look like he hadn't walked in three months <laughs> and he comes in he eventually that comes down to the final four he gets tossed out by sid and and flair flips over sid to win and I was uh, in my reading that I was seeing how this was around the first time that the fans started to turn on Hogan, where Hogan wasn't the kind of be all end all for wrestling. And I think it kind of shocked them a little bit. Mm. And at the end of the match, you can still even see that they tried to keep the focus on Hogan. Hogan didn't even win. Flair wins. He leaves the ring in seconds and Hogan and Sid are in the ring uh, and the focus is on them. That kind of just annoyed me. Uh, just to begin with. They don't even really give Flair the moment of throwing out Sid's justice. It's like Hogan sort of grabs Sid's arm and is kind of pulling him from the outside as well, which is kind of like a really weird decision to give to have someone who's theoretically a good guy do that because it kind of makes him seem really petty. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it's just, uh, it's very it's very odd. But um, But yeah, clearly trying to keep the focus on Hogan, as you say, even though it doesn't quite yeah. work. I mean, I, I don't know in what in what universe Hulk Hogan is the is the hero in this story, is he? And part of me wonders: is this some disconnect? But Slim, it can't be a disconnect because you've just voiced the same opinion. But part of me think thought was: is this because you know Britain and America are slightly different culturally? Is you know in America it's a lot of um, sports and win, win, win. In Britain, we're kind of like, oh, we didn't win, never mind. Uh, we'll sit down and maybe we'll have some chips, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> but like Hogan's the worst guy in the world, isn't he? He cuts yeah. a promo before the match about how the all of his friends stab him in the back, and then what does he do in the final? <laughs> he pulls somebody else out when he's supposed to be eliminated, eliminated, and actually mm-hmm. Stedfield takes all the spotlight from Ric Flair who wins it. What is he? How is he the hero of this story? Yeah. He's yeah, not. I, as, I mean, oh, there's so I, many moments in the history of the WWE. E because it's mostly most of the the problem with the WWE is that most of the creative decisions are ultimately made by what you might someone you might charitably charitably refer to as like a mad old Republican, and he's got a very sort of specific set of moral boundaries. And I think to Vince McMahon, who is the the chap who who ultimately everything goes through, I think the idea of yeah, if someone wrongs you, you can be as spiteful and vicious as you like and still be the good guy. That seems to from the way he talks about himself, that seems to make sense. But I think, yeah, for culturally, if you if you don't agree with that, it just makes people seem quite 
mean and mean yeah. spirits. And yeah, I, I can. I, yeah. I'm bored I, with it. I can see living outside of the bubble of being a wrestling fan. I can see where, um, like, oh, I wonder if Hogan's going <gasps> to get Sid back. I'm interested in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but having, I probably the three of us have like this kind of nerdy knowledge of wrestling. You know, Hogan was power hungry in his entire 10, like 99% of his entire tenure of wrestling. He, mm. you know, worked behind the scenes to make sure he was the top dog. He yeah. would actively, you know, make other people look bad. So mm. I can absolutely see where in the background, he and Vince would be like, you know, Vince, I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna lose, but I, you gotta make me look good. I gotta yeah, be the strong, final bro. guy. And yeah, you gotta make yeah. me look strong, brother. I gotta be the final guy in the ring with Sid. We gotta build up our match at WrestleMania and he agrees. Um, but we do out through that. We do get a background interview with flair after the match in the locker room, um, which goes down in history as maybe the greatest interview of all time. Let me just say after view distorting the belt, the proclaiming the real world champion. I'm going to tell you all with a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life when you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one and this is the only title in the wrestling world that makes you number one when you are the king of the WWF you rule the world think about it like that Mr. Perfect guys we're not going to Woo! Woo! Let's give a big one! Woo! I was never so impressed with anything I've ever seen in all my life. He went out there for over 60 minutes, never took a back step, took it to Hogan, took it to The Undertaker, took it to whoever got in that ring. That's why he is, hey, Bobby, call now, the real world's heavyweight champion. We're not the kind of guys to say, we told you so, but we Told you so. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, it's uh, it's Ric Flair, uh, Bobby Heenan, who we mentioned, and uh, Mr. Perfect, who is another amazing wrestler who I don't think was wrestling at this time, if I'm right in saying. No. I think he was injured. He had, a, he had a back injury, yeah. Back injury, yeah. And it's just, it's one of the greatest promos of all time because it's kind of like simultaneously he is being kind of villainous and he is kind of like rubbing in how great he is when we've seen him take all these shortcuts throughout the match, but he is also like really emotional and it seems really genuine. And if you're a fan of Ric Flair, you kind of are really happy for him. And he walks that line just really well. It's probably one. Yeah. I think it's probably the greatest interview ever. I would say. I think, I think wrestling is always at its best and it's the cliche when there's an element of truth in there and then you can buy into it more easily. But the thing was, he did prove and I don't think he took any shortcuts, Neil, every kind of guy that went in that ring went after Ric Flair and yeah. he went after them as well alright you poked a few people in the eye I was specifically specifically thinking of him punching Roddy Piper in the nards I think is my specific <laughs> moment of it. If Roddy he Piper poked more guys in the eye <laughs> and Flair yeah. took more back bumps than I've seen anyone take in any match ever. I, I'm surprised F- Flair could still walk after that. But he, I mean, he, he it was a, such a genuine program because I think, you know, he proved it. He did prove it in that match. And watching it back again um, really emphasized that to me, that there's a reason he's probably the greatest of all time. That mm-hmm. match cements it. You talked about um, having an element of realism in wrestling, which kind of creates an intrigue and an interest in the fans. So our next uh, choice was Neil's Money in the Bank, John Cena, CM Punk, which kicked off the summer of Punk, uh, which the match in and of itself and the storylines surround it also became one of the greatest of all time. You know, the match itself and, and the modern day intrigue. What was the backstory with this match? Neil, why'd you pick it? Well, it's like I say, like when I was, um, I got into wrestling in 2011 uh, after seeing this this show. Or, or that's when I properly got into it. Obviously, I was kind of a fan. I watched WCW and stuff growing up. But it was, um, yeah, so I just tried to catch up on what was going on in WWE. And like pretty much the first thing I watched was CM Punk's initial promo that kind of led up to this match and a promo is basically, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's, uh, it's the sort of the, when the wrestler gets on the microphone, he does like his little speech talks about what's going on, essentially starts to build a story. And 
it's just really just there's a lot of stuff in it that like in retrospect i think must have gone completely over my head like he makes lots of kind of like insider reference lots of indie references but i think like if you're wanting to get into wrestling and this is the first story you see it's just it's perfect it's such a good story it's such a good match john cena and cm punk are just such believable characters in terms of who they are leading up to it. And it, it's just, it's still one of my favorite matches. I think it's still just probably my favorite match. It was just kind of the immediate one that sprung to mind when we're thinking about what match to do for people that read comics. You know, there's an internet comic book community that always digs in to the details, likes to hear the inside dirt. It's the same thing with wrestling. There's wrestling, hardcore wrestling fans that love to know the real story behind the wrestlers and, and the, and the stories. So, CM Punk's contract was coming up in real life at WWE mm-hmm. and he kind of didn't want to resign and they allowed him to go on television with it by himself without a script and just say whatever he wanted what was on the top of his mind and it turned into this yeah. huge thing um if Twitter had been like super around at this time it probably would have mm-hmm. been the biggest thing going um mm-hmm. so people were like wow was that was he what he said real or was it scripted you couldn't know so that blurred the lines, which created more interest. And yeah. so he was going to wrestle John Cena on the last night of his contract in his hometown. And legitimate hardcore wrestling nerds who generally know what's going to happen beforehand had no idea what was going to happen. Would CM Punk win the title mm-hmm. on his last day? Or would he presumably lose and he would just dr- go off into the sunset? Mm-hmm. And yeah. watching it again... God, the crowd in Chicago. One of the loudest I've ever heard. Imagine being there and being a part of that main event, like being near the front row. They were coming unglued. They were ready to riot at any moment for CM Punk. It was amazing. It's amazing. I just think it's got to, it's got to be one of the most exhilarating things to be CM Punk in that moment, just to have your this entire stadium completely behind you. Because there are, I mean, like nowadays, it's really hard. Even if someone is on paper a villain they'll always get like a couple of people in the audience sort of cheering for them because either they're so entertaining as a villain or someone's just doing it because they don't like the good guy or whatever it might be. So it's actually, I think rare nowadays to see a crowd that's completely on the side of one person. And I think, yeah, so it was just really cool to see. And, uh, I think he just plays off it so well. Like he doesn't necessarily, he does like a little bit of pandering to the crowd, but he gets in the ring. He just, crosses his legs he just stares at the ramp and he just waits for john cena to come out while the entire city is going insane around him it's just it's just an amazing moment i think even if they hadn't had a good match after that it would have been one of the greatest moments in like wrestling history and the fact that they do go on to have i think probably the best wwe singles match ever i think uh Mm. i think uh is just amazing it's just a fantastic moment Derek, where were you when you first saw this where was i i probably main eventing that night you got done you, you went in the locker no, room and you put it on. what was it 2011 wasn't it so yeah, yeah. i mean i was um i was you know that was probably just before i uh, that was probably just before i retired from british wrestling i think i retired in 2012 but i think what is interesting about this match and you talk about the crowd and how into it the crowd was and they were so into it there's a there's like a commentary line halfway through um that sounds like a platitude when the commentators say there is nobody sitting in the arena but you look around and there is nobody sitting down everybody is standing up and they were so into it but the actual match itself is unusual in that it's a it's kind of like a it's it's a face v face it's good guy v good guy it's not full of um heel tactics cheating or anything like that it is mm. it's literally technical wrestling for a bit then they trade some suplexes and clotheslines but it's the actual it's the story that they tell isn't it and that's that's what's mm. so great about wrestling is that you can tell 50 different stories you can tell you have eight matches on a card and each one will tell a different story and this the story behind this match was so good like matt like you were saying 
with the nobody knew what was going to happen. Well, back in the Royal Rumble 92, it was still kind of kayfabe, wasn't it? It was like, you know, this is real. This is real. Don't you, you know, this is real fine. Whereas in 2011, the world is woke. And, you know, we know, we know it's, we know the outcome is predetermined. So, you know, there's a slightly different angle on yeah. this. But, if, um, if Skinner but, showed up nowadays, people would be like, he's not a real alligator hunter. He's not a real alligator. <laughs> but because, because, because of the way they presented it, it yeah. created that element of doubt, right? And like you said, no one knew how it was going to go. No one knew how it was going to go. And I think the whole storyline up to it was CM Punk saying, in that, that what we mentioned, it's kind of, it, people call it like the pipe bomb promo now, as I said. And it's like... Uh, he says, like, you've never given me an opportunity. I've come out and I've always been, like, one of the best wrestlers. I've been one of the best talkers. I've been the best at everything you've asked me to do. And you've never given me this opportunity. And that kind of became part of the story. This idea that, you know, Vince McMahon was never going to give someone like CM Punk an opportunity to be the WWE champion. And then the fact... So it was kind of, like, a really interesting... I think they have tried to do it, where they've tried to be a bit meta with the storyline uh with a few different storylines since but i don't think it's ever really worked quite as well as it has with this one i think it's <laughs> the real people of cm punk and vince mcmahon and john cena what they're like in real life and then what's also going on in like the the fictional world of of the storyline i think just come together in just this amazing way and it just really contributes to the match definitely yeah well and, and instead of wrestler v wrestler it's what you said deal is it's wrestler versus the archetype of of you know what does it mean to be a champion in this promotion and that yeah. was the that was that was the storyline it was is cm punk somebody who would be deemed worthy enough to be a champion in this promotion and i think uh, what i remember from from watching this match is the the feeling that things are about to change and that um, as much as Cena has been a, a great champion over the years, he's a very specific type of champion. Mm. He's a mus- muscly guy. He's probably the way that he wrestles is not to every every person's taste, but I I I have grown to like him. But um, it felt that it felt that things are about to change. If CM Punk won that match, it felt like there would be a, a like a like a mm. cultural shift almost in in what wrestlers we would be presented and what would be the the new standard in the WWE. That's what I, was exciting, I think. I think I think the thing is with with John Cena is he was he, he's kind of done a lot more. He's kind of really grown after this, I think. Like he this was kind of the start of him having these kinds of like amazing wrestling technical wrestling matches. He did he did sort of step into that when he had to, but yeah, he's he he comes out. He wears the colourful shirts. He's kind of like essentially the contemporary Hulk Hogan, except he seems to be actually a nice person. Whereas Hogan, as we said, does not seem to be a nice person in real life. But um, yeah, someone like CM Punk, who was like he was from the Indies. He wasn't someone who had been made by Vince himself. It was just not the kind of person who'd ever had this kind of success in the WWE before. And then subsequently, so many people have had success that kind of because I think CM Punk kind of opened the door here really. And I think it's, um, I think it's such an important match uh, in, in terms of how WWE has been over the last eight years as well. Yeah. The, uh, the one uh, interesting part on the rewatch hearing CM Punk's interviews where he kind of just disparages Vince McMahon and everything he says is pretty much true. Mm. It reminds me of modern day Daniel Bryan, who now is a villain and Mm. he is like, you know, a vegan, he, he <laughs> yells at the fans for being impotent and complicit in this billionaire yeah. kind of getting away with these negative choices. And he's billed as a villain, but what he says is actually heroic. Uh, so he could be a hero, but for the moment he's being booed because, you know, everyone's an idiot. But it reminded <laughs> me of this kind of weird blurred line where uh, the same thing with CM Punk and eventually the the crowds, you know, came behind him. Um, yeah. and, the, and we talked about the blurred lines and who was going to win. And there's a one, there's one point where Vince comes out um, with, I guess, who was the general manager at the time, his title. Um, and he like sends him over there to, to, you know, to ring the bell to end the match, which has deeper subtext in wrestling. But at this point you think, oh, this is how Vince gets away with it and doesn't let him leave. Yeah. And, Cena stops that from happening, which I thought was a really cool moment because at this point the mm. fans hate Cena, but Cena doesn't want this kind of nefarious interference with the match. He says he wants if he's yeah. going to if he's going to lose, he's going to lose like a man. 
Um, so the match goes on and CM Punk eventually pulls his move and wins. And the, the camera zooms in on Vince McMahon. It's that famous gif of him just like closing his <laughs> eyes, looking, yeah. putting his head up in the air. <laughs> just an amazing moment. He's celebrating. And, and then Vince, in another cool moment of this blurred realism line, he gets over to the headset. Stop it! Stop the music! Stop it! Stop it right now! Cut that! Cut the music! Cut it! Cut that music! Cut it! All right. Uh, all right, give me that, uh, give me Alberta lighter. Come on, cash it in. Get Alberta lighter now. Come on, let's go. Get him out here. And he yells him to cut the music, and he tells him to send out, send Alberto out. And Alberto Del Rio is a wrestler who won a match where he gets to claim a title shot whenever he wants with this briefcase. So as a fan, you're like, oh, this is how they get away with it. This is how Vince gets yeah. away with it. Alberto's going to beat him, and he'll win the title. And that doesn't happen. And yeah. and Punk sits on the, the ringside wall, blows a kiss to Vince, and goes into the stands in one of the mm. most amazing scenes in wrestling history. Show, the show ends with him holding the title above his head in the crowd, just surrounded by everyone cheering from him for him. And it's just, yeah, it's just an absolutely amazing visual. Uh, and yeah, Vince, you mentioned the close, but Vince, Vince looking, I think, one of the all-time weirdest looks that Vince has had. The kind of... <laughs> varnished really weird haircut yeah his hair is too short his suit his is probably three sizes too big yeah it's such a I, I weird think, thing he's going for at the time but. i wrote i wrote down vince walks out wearing a tent <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like someone took like an, an oak an oak carving of vince <laughs> and put a uh, put a tent on it and then pushes that out but to be fair to Vince like for all that he doesn't again he doesn't necessarily seem to be the nicest person in terms of playing his character of Mr. McMahon he is perfect at it and Mm -hmm. he does that so well just this idea of at this moment where he kind of looks he doesn't even look angry he just looks shell-shocked like I can't believe this scruffy little oik is gonna leave with my Mm -hmm. championship it's just it's an amazing performance from Vince I think he really does a good job of, of selling it yeah, it's one of those rare moments in wrestling where everything came together, similar to the Rumble, mm-hmm. and created this near-perfect moment where I would assume that Vince, up until this point, knew that there was something brewing here that we needed to ride the lightning on this until it ended. Um, and similar to Flair, long-term, it didn't really work out for Punk. You know, like the heights of this match kind of never, it never got this high again. Um mm. Unfortunately, CM Punk never got his like main, his WrestleMania main event that he wanted. Um, mm-hmm. The Rock came in and kind of beat him for the title towards the end, and he ended up fighting the Undertaker in like not the official main event. So it, it just it was it was strange looking back at this and kind of being in awe of how perfect it was. But then I guess it's just so hard to kind of keep riding that and keep everything perfect. It's like not possible. I was going to say it's difficult because kind of they're telling an amazing story but cm punk winning the title is kind of the end of the story really and it's sort of like uh like okay he's the underdog is he going to win are they finally going to give someone a, a like this a chance with the title and then he wins it and it's kind of like oh well what does he do what does he do next what does he do with it because he can't actually really change the wwe although i think he as i say he essentially did he did yeah he doesn't really change the wwe it's sort of um it's always going to be a very similar sort of sort of thing. So I think it just almost felt everything he did afterwards felt a bit anticlimactic. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's a shame, but I think this, this moment is just so perfect that if he, if he had just left and he had retired, I think it would have just been, you know, he still would have been amazing. So yeah. Probably the strangest part that I left out the next day he was doing TV interviews, CM Punk, and they asked him pretty much what he's going to do next because uh, the night before he won the title, he's standing there with the title in the interview, and he says, I'm getting a custom scarf made from half-double design, not your granny's crochet. Buy your crocheted hats, blankets, etc. from half-double design. Amanda's waiting to hear from you, and you won't regret it. Halfdoubledesign.com. But I, I, think it, I think it emphasizes the difference between wrestling and other forms of, of, of art, really, in that... Mm. Um, they are moments stamped in time. You know, you can watch, uh, you can watch a ballet, and you can watch different pe- different dancers' interpretations of different ballet. You can watch a film, but 
they don't rely on the interaction between a live crowd and they don't, you know, that match that CM Punk and John Cena had would have been a different match if it hadn't happened in Chicago, say. And then there's all yeah. those different variables. And that's what makes wrestling, I think, a unique art form in that it's not just down to the guys in the ring, is it? It's down to it's down to uh, the crowd as much as anything else. And we saw that with the rumble with the how it was down to the commentators as well. Perfect segue talking about the art of pro wrestling to now move into Dirk Feelgood himself, your match, your four way match. Yeah. Battlefield 2 high stakes four way Dirk Feelgood versus Cyanide versus Jack Gallagher versus Martin Kirby for the title uh, 2012. And I'll have a link to this as well to YouTube in the show notes so everyone can enjoy this four way match. I watched it. This is the first time I actually watched it right before this, right before this interview. Unreal. I'm not one who usually <laughs> uh, digs around for non-mainstream. Like, I'll be honest, I don't usually dig around for non-mainstream stuff on YouTube. But this was the first time um, I watched uh, your match, the first four-way. And, God, it was so much fun. Oh, thank you. So much fun. It's almost yeah. like different. It's like I'm trying to have to describe to people that maybe have only seen WWF or on TV, but there's just such a vibrant culture of local wrestling mm. that you feel mm. a different connection with as opposed to being in the audience of like a 20,000 seat arena. How, what was that match like for you, Dirk? Talk to us. It was it was special. It was special. Um, and thank you. Thank you, Slim, for those kind words. Mm. Um, <laughs> The... I, I also liked it, I should say. I want to jump <laughs> on that point. Before we get too far, I also liked it. <laughs> Thank you. It was a different style of match for me because um, I knew that was going to be my last match. So I kind of did everything. I did everything. Where like Whereas previously, I was very much a wrestler who would know the story he was trying to tell and I would limit what I did to to fit the story. I knew what role I was playing and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell the story. But in that match, I knew it was my last one. And I was in there with such such three top wrestlers, like one guy now in the WWF, WWE, Jack Gallagher, and the two other guys have wrestled on mainstream TV in the in the UK, uh, Mine Kirby and, and Cyanide. And is out there with Mel. Mel's Mel's my uh, wrestling tag team partner. She was managing me, and now I manage Mel. And it's and you know yeah. that that's that's a great moment when you can have a match like this with with friends involved. But um, I loved it, and I, I could feel it. I, you know what was it like for me? I could feel it in that match. You know, mm. I, there was a there was a moment I think after about two minutes when the referee gets bumped and he's out and then a new referee has to come down and he dives through the middle yeah. ropes as he's making the pin and at that moment i was like oh yeah it's on now <laughs> that dive a was yeah. like a total stunt like you couldn't have yeah. tried to replicate that ref dive into the ring it was so yeah, perfect it was yeah. so good and that, it know, looked it looked like someone doing like a comedy trip in like a silent movie or something it was a proper <laughs> kind of horizontal parallel line to the ground that you managed to get it was amazing yeah. He was an active wrestler. He would get an NXT UK contract for that, uh, <laughs> that suicide dive through the middle rope. But but that was that, that was like a, a small moment that just kind of created such an energy because you know of, of some of, of of not a wrestler because of the referee. And it's those beautiful moments that can that can really kind of ooh create something special. Grand Pro Wrestling. This is the first time I watched it. Anything GPW, and I checked out the description on the YouTube video. I thought the description was some of the best informational wrestling writing I've ever read because I know nothing about these characters, but this bio setting up this match told me, you know, the match before that, why they care about being in this match, why they care about the title. And it reminded me of me growing up as in Philadelphia watching ECW and knowing kind of the wrestling backstory mm -hmm. for their their match on the hour show, wanting to watch the pay per view, I'd know their reasonings for caring. Um, I thought that I, it took me back. It was so fun to know everything about these wrestlers in thirty seconds, and it yeah. instantly made me care about the match. And we have, I mean, so we have around about so two to four hundred people who come every who come every show and they know the wrestlers neil right don't they they yeah, they know the, the stories we should say that neil uh is a, is a ring announcer for grand pro wrestling yes. and they um the people who come to our shows 
come to our shows to see the, the characters, don't they, I think? And that's what yeah. Grand Pro Wrestling really does, is it focuses on characters, which is which is why I was able to to main event, because that's what I did. I, I was a, a guy who focused on my character more than, more than I never did a shoe in Star Press. But I always did a really good taunt, and that was what was important. <laughs> well, I, I mean... Because at this time, I, I, I mean, I was in the audience for this match, and uh, oh wow! As you just said, Dirk, you know, the audience is a huge part of it. So I, I'm going to take a lot of credit for this match going forward. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. But uh, it's, um, but yeah, I was in the audience for this match, and um, I was a Grand Pro fan because my friend uh, Ian, who wrestles as Two Shades Jet Fashion, uh, or, or does now, didn't didn't at the time. He was he was involved in it. Uh, so as I say, when I start getting into it, I start coming here and. To be honest, like I really did like the Dirk Dirk Feelgood, the character Feelgood is one of the wrestlers when I started going to Grand Press and that I immediately kind of gravitated to because it was, Stop. as you say, oh, I'm just saying, <laughs> uh, it was like, because you say it's like, it's like character. It's like not necessarily, there's so many, there's, you know, there's, there's so many amazing athletes and I think you can kind of tie it into the CM Punk versus John Cena thing because there's a lot of stuff in there. Like I think there's a bit in like the CM Punk John Cena match where he, tries to like flip out of something and he kind of slips and lands on his on his bum so it's not a particularly um athletic moment but because everyone's so invested in the characters they get into it and i think that's what this match does so well because yourself jack gallagher uh, cyanide and and martin kirby are all great wrestlers but also the characters in that ring are all mm. so well defined and even if you hadn't read the the blurb that you read to them i think you immediately get what's going on with all of them i think everyone in that match really knew what they were doing at that point with their character. And it just, yeah, it was just, I think it's one of the first, it's one of the first matches I saw in like a live sort of indie wrestling setting that was just like, Oh, okay. You can see things here in this kind of environment that is as good as anything you could see anywhere else in any company, however big it might be. You can see just as good a match in like within, you know, in a really small company like well not really small obviously but in like a relatively small yeah. company i should say like grand pro and uh yeah and i think the fact that that's been something that's been part of my wrestling watching since i really got into it has been like a really important thing for me i think yeah definitely i think the location it's gotta be so like like not lucky but like exciting to be in that area where there's just that kind of vibrant local scene and be able to take yeah. part of that. It's not, I, I feel like it's rare in, um, in the United States, but now they kind of have, you know, evolve in the East coast mm. and, and things like that. But the UK scene is, has been so new to me over the last like two, two years, um, mm. with like Pete Dunn in WWE, um, mm. Tony storm, like you start to see social media allowing you to kind of, get a peek into that environment whereas otherwise you know i have no i have no idea what's going on over there i don't even know that there's like you know 400 or 500 people getting to see these shows and mm. i don't get to see neil doing these ring announcing uh, gigs <laughs> being a part of the real, show that's your real loss i think by missing out on the british <laughs> scene that's what you're really struggling with um no i think i think the british scene's amazing i think one thing about i i i, I think because it is quite a quite a small country you do see i don't know if, if how much of an impact that has but i think it just means that you just people can travel like to all these different promotions in all these different areas and just get so much experience and see all these different styles i think and it just really leads to this really great mix of things i think that, i genuinely think the british scene is just as good as any wrestling anywhere i'm very i'm, I'm very sort of gung-ho about it so i think it's uh I, I definitely, I'm, it's definitely great to see that it's getting a bit more exposure over the last few years. The the stuff that I started to watch, um, like everyone was talking about this wrestler, Walter, like on social mm -hmm. media, like this mm -hmm. big guy who was like the next big thing. He's so tough. And I was finally able to watch a YouTube video, um, of him wrestling and the crowd in the audience, I feel is just as important to the wrestling scene there. Mm. Um, it's not even close to what it's like in the States. Like they are enthralled with the match They're It's almost like they're, they're as more important in the match than the actual match happening in the ring. Like they're so energetic and mm. it just creates this mystique around the match that is just so wild to watch. And you want to seek it out more. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think when you're in a in a crowd, uh, either as 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 being part of the show or just going to going to see it, and you're seeing a match that has the kind of excitement that I think this match, this four way did, or, or you know some of the matches I've got to ring announce lately in in Grand Pro and and Future Shock, which is the other company I work for. Uh, it's just it, it's definitely the thing that takes a match from being good to, to great is that thing of just the crowd getting into it and the crowd getting behind it. And, uh, you know, there's it's it just makes the world of difference. Definitely. And if, if you take the if you take the four way as an example, there's only one wrestler in, in that match who hasn't gone on to kind of TV stardom with his wrestling. Uh, and that's me. <laughs> all the all, all the other wrestlers in that match, you know, um, it, it could you could almost argue that's become well. I suppose it, when when can you can you sustain the problem with British wrestling is for so long you've not been able to have active wrestlers who can do that as their job. So you know, in America, in in Japan, people can can use wrestling as as their sole source of income and then they can focus on that and they can train their bodies and they can perfect their craft in the uk it's been very much weekend warriors and that's what i was you know i was working um x amount of hours a week and then i was going training at the weekend and fitting in the gym and um it was not something i ever imagined uh, as a potential that you could work for the wwe or you could you could Mm -hmm. get to new japan pro wrestling or but yet out of that match that I was in, the three of the guys kind of did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's just that, that that possibility now has just created such a buzz about British wrestling. Mm-hmm. And uh, you talk about in, in America, Slim, how it's hard. You, you know, the, the, you might have to travel a certain distance to go to a certain show. In the Northwest, where, where we live, Neil, you could travel, you know, half an hour and you could see four shows, right? You know, yeah. of, yeah. Of, 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 of varying quality but hmm. or but with but with at least probably two or three decent matches on each on each card i would say yeah absolutely i mean if you were if you were a dedicated british wrestling fan and there are dedicated british wrestling fans who do this on twitter uh you can literally take any like month of the year and go see maybe like 20 british wrestling shows in the space of that period of time and they'll all be I'd say maybe varying quality, but I think they're all like at least good. I think there's so much talent on the scene now that it's hard not to do a good show. So uh, I think it's just it's just an amazing time to be getting into it. I think. Maybe uh, 2020 Pennsylvania Philadelphia PA Dirk comes out of retirement one final time. And then unfortunately, like uh, Dirk breaks both his legs. It's a horrible <laughs> accident and it just goes poorly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what would happen if I wrestled again. <laughs> Yeah. The fear has well and truly set in. That's why I don't wrestle now. That's why I manage. I got to announce one Dirk feel good match before you uh, officially retired. So I, uh, I, th- I think it was the one where you hurt your shoulder, which is, <laughs> which is maybe not the, the one I would have chosen to do, but it was, uh, I got to do one and I was pleased with that. I got to cross it off the list. That was good. I was Neil. I was probably pretending. <laughs> what we do neil how does that work for you i mean you have a day job i gotta if i was doing this realistically my wife would be like you know maybe it's time to stop you know i don't need you breaking your spine in the ring we have a son i imagine you had those same conversations oh yeah my wife was my wife was so supportive though genuinely because my wife is such a a sports person she can do any sport uh, nine out of ten on the first go, ten out of ten mm-hmm. on the second go. She's incredible. So she was really supportive. But there was one time we were due to get married, probably two months after this match, and I kind of talked to Johnny Brannigan and uh, Gary Mason, who ran Grand, Ruin Grand Pro Wrestling, and said, I "Probably need a few months where I don't wrestle just before the wedding." So we came up with this story um, where the guy would break my arm in the match, and he put my arm in a in a chair, and he'd jump off the top rope, and he'd he'd he'd, he'd shatter my wrist and. All the wrestlers would come out and, and they'd, they'd drag him off me and various different things. So this was all going really well. The guy looked like he broke my wrist into a thousand pieces. I was in the ring howling in agony. And then I just hear my wife at ringside, my, my girlfriend then, shouting at all the other wrestlers, Get him out of the ring! Get him out of the ring! <laughs> <laughs> and like, shouting at all the wrestlers that she knew. Sam, Sam, get him out of the ring! He broke his arm! And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Tell my wife I'm okay. <laughs> so you, that 
That like blows my mind that your wife wouldn't even know in advance. I thought yeah. that she would figure it out. You know, <laughs> I, I thought she'd be like, "This is just typical Andrew, just yeah. being an idiot, pretending his wrist is broken." I didn't think I'd have to tell her. I thought she would realize. I love the idea of having a having a realistic injury in the ring and not telling your loved ones who are in the audience. <laughs> The Madman Roddy Piper. Ah. Thanks to Dirk and Neil for coming on to share their love of pro wrestling, the greatest medium ever, right next to comic books. Big Niz, uh, we officially have t-shirts. Not just pins anymore, we got merch with t-shirts. There's a link in the show notes to buy your very own half-double design t-shirt and faves t-shirts to uh, support the podcast. Thanks to Jim Lind. Thanks to my dear friend, Jim, and Dog Walk Productions for helping make that happen. And as always, Michael Santi for the phase design. Get your own t-shirts in the show notes. Otherwise, that's officially a wrap on this season. Thank you very, very much for listening. Thanks for retweeting the show, reviewing the show, sharing links to the show. Um, If you haven't done any of those things yet, what are you waiting for? Uh, Next up is the mailbag episode so be sure to tweet at the show leave an ig comment or email phasepod at gmail.com so amanda can hear your thoughts on the show since i don't think she's listened to a single episode of the season yet goodbye